Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. We are continuing our study on the mind, (laughs) the arena of faith. And it is based upon a book written by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price. And the last time that we were together, turn with me to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at the second verse. But before we do that, just to kind of bring us up to snuff as to where we left off, we mentioned the fact that we were proving the point that Jesus, when he walked the earth, he did not walk the earth as the Son of God. He walked the earth, really, as a man. And we have a tendency to... Now, are you guys hearing me okay? Because it's like I'm hearing an echo. Okay, good. As long as you're hearing me, that's good. Um, Yeah, I'm hearing an echo. (laughs) Uh, We have a tendency, and many Christians have a tendency, when they think of Jesus, they think of him just in his sovereignty. They can't imagine the fact that he actually walked the earth as a man with needs, like he needed to eat food to function. He was not just functioning on his deity alone. That did not work. He literally had to do things. He had to use some toothpaste and mouthwash and all that. You know, we never want to think of it that way because it's like we almost feel somewhat guilty to think of our Savior as a man at any point in time that walked the earth. But the thing is, that was the design. He did it that way. God allowed him to do it that way on purpose so that he could serve as an example to us because we are just all men and women. Amen? You got that? Okay, so we started proving that fact the last time that we were together. And actually, we looked at Psalm 121.4. You don't have to turn there. But it talked about the fact that we had mentioned that Jesus took naps. You know, we gave examples of how he actually napped, how he slept, which is something that we as human beings have to do. And then we refer to Psalm 121.4 that talks about God who never sleeps or slumbers. Because we were proving the, the fact that Jesus obviously was operating as a man, not operating as the Son of God when he walked the earth. Okay, so now we can move forward to Luke 4.2, because what we also needed to see and what we needed to pay attention to, because all of this time in Luke's gospel, we've been talking about how the enemy was really... He was tempting Jesus. He was aggravating him because he was in the wilderness. The man had already gone through 40 days of no food. And we can imagine as people how we would feel. 40 days and 40 nights of no food, nothing, we're hungry. And this is when the enemy is tempting him. And we talked about that, and I'm not going to go through all of that, but I want to bring you right back to where we ended up last week. 
and we were talking about what is the, what's the whole purpose of temptation to begin with. It's obviously designed, the enemy designed it because he's trying to get you and I to do something that he wants us to do, or otherwise what would be the point of the temptation. And it was a very, very important question that was asked last week at the end of Bible study, and that was, what is the difference between a temptation and a snare? And I answered that, but I thought about it because I'm forever thinking, okay? So I thought about that even after I left, and I wanted to clarify it even a little bit more. A temptation is something that you have to participate in. And I gave the example of um, in order to tempt someone to do something, it has to be something that's intriguing to them or otherwise they're not going to go along with the temptation. So I used myself as an example and I said, well, if someone wanted to tempt me with chocolate, because I happen to really like chocolate, everybody knows I like chocolate, that could be something that the enemy could use if he wanted to, to try. But see, I already know that so I don't fall prey to it, but it would be something that he he could try. Um, now, if he wanted to tempt me, but see, it would have to be something I wanted to participate in. Now, if he wanted to tempt me to eat chocolate-covered roaches, because they actually do that in some of the, you know, uh, countries in the, the East, that would not be a temptation to me, because I don't care how much chocolate you put on it, I'm not eating a roach, okay? It is just not. So for me, that would be no temptation. So he'd fail miserably, okay? So it's it's... I wanted to get that point, and then I actually used the example of our brothers here. I used um, Dexter and I used our brother Mark. If they were tempted, if somebody was going to give them like billions of dollars to give birth to have a child, that's not a temptation because it can't be done. So that would be a poor temptation because they can't be, they can't yield to it because it's not something that they can do. But the point is, for a temptation, it's something that you can get involved in. So he's going to tempt you with something that you find tantalizing or interesting, you know, for a man who wants to be married in the worst way and he sees his dream vision of who he thinks is the most beautiful woman in the world who comes and sits next to him. That's, okay, Halle Berry, we know, you know, every time I see Halle Berry on TV, I think of Brother Dexter, okay? I mean, no, I'm not. I do think about you. And I keep thinking, I'm so glad she's doing well because what's going to happen when she's not? He's going to be crushed. But the point is, if she came in and sat next to him, I think that would be a temptation for him. Okay, so I'm just saying, a temptation is something that we are going to have to guard ourselves not to yield to it because we participate in. Where is the snare? On the other hand, that's really a form of entrapment because it's something that the enemy uses and catches us unaware of and off guard. It's, and I gave the example of a minefield. Um, if you look at a war picture and they show you minefields, you don't know where they are. You're just walking. You think everything is safe and fine and you hit one and that's the end of you. Well, there are all kinds of different snares. There are snares in business. You may open up a business. You may think everything's just going great, but you may not have hired an accountant who gives you all the tax facts because tax facts change every year. Some people think that they're the same all the time. They're not. So you have to have an accountant that is very astute to know those differences. Say you didn't know that and you start a business and you're thinking everything's fine and you know, you're just thinking, oh, wonderful 
people, you go to do taxes and find out that you're all in the red and you really lost your shirt because there were certain things you were not aware of. That is a snare. But the other wonderful news is that the Holy Spirit can help us when it comes to snares. Why? Because he can tell us of things to come. So therefore, if we know that, but that's still part of putting on our armor because you've got to know the word of God to know about the Holy Spirit and know that when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying the very best that you can, building up your most holy faith, but you won't know that if you don't know anything about the word, which is part of your armor. So see, it all ties in together. That's how we can avoid the snares. But the snares are there and the temptations are there. So I just kind of wanted to go over that. So that brings us exactly to where we were last week. Now, turn, we'll look at, we'll look at Luke 4 because I asked you to turn there. So I'm not going to read all of that that I read last week. I'm just going to read it out of the message. Luke 4, 2, out of the message says this. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when the time was up, he was hungry. And we all know the story of how the enemy was tempting him with turn these, you know, stones into bread and, you know, that whole thing. Now turn with me to James. We're going to look at the first chapter and the 13th verse. Because this brings us to why would the devil try to tempt Jesus if Jesus couldn't yield to it? This goes back to the argument of Jesus was operating as a man, just like we are. So if we look at James 1 and we look at the 13th verse, the Amplified Classic Edition says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. And this is very important because... I think God gets a really bad rap a lot of times with this because there are a lot of people, again, who do not understand, and this is why it's so important to be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing. Another advantage of being filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit is so that you can rightly divide the word of God or the word of truth. Same thing. The point being is you can read scripture all day long, but if you can't rightly divide it, what does that mean? You wrongly divide it. So if you wrongly divide it, you can be just as messed up in the long run. That's why he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's another advantage of it, so that you can read the word and be able to rightly divide it and know exactly what it is saying to you. So the point is, many Christians who have not understood the word or haven't spent time to read it, they believed when they've gone through a whole lot of different trials, tests, and a lot of temptations that it definitely came from God, like God was playing some kind of game with them. He does not do that. That's not the nature of the God we serve. So I like the scripture because it makes it very, very clear. He's not trying to tempt you. That is not what his goal is. So this proves it to us. If we look at it in the Living Bible, it says, and remember, when someone wants to do wrong, it is never God who is tempting him. For God never wants to do wrong and never tempts anyone else to do it. So we need to understand that. Then if we look at it in the message, it says, don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. 
We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Mm. <laughs> lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. There is no way you can tell me reading the word cannot be very interesting. It can be better than any storybook that you've ever read. But the key is you've got to find the right translation because you could read the same verse of scripture and it could be just as dull and boring and you have absolutely no idea what was meant by it and what it is saying. But if you get the right translation, it comes off the page and you totally get what's meant. That's why I share different, different translations with you all the time. So God cannot be tempted with evil. So that means that when Jesus walked the earth, it wasn't as what? The Son of God. It proves it again. He was doing it as a man, and he could be tempted just as we are tempted. That's exactly why the devil came to him. Now this is crucial. Most people picture the devil walking up to Jesus physically and saying, if you are the son of God, command this stone to be made bread. But that's not the way it was. I mean, just think about it for a minute. That doesn't even make any logical sense, okay? You don't even have to be spiritual to figure out that that's not how it was. The devil had to approach Jesus mentally, not physically. That's the same way he approaches all of us, mentally. He doesn't approach us physically. I mean, think about it. If he came up to us with all of his credentials, making it very clear that he was Satan himself, are we going to just go and go, oh, okay, come right on in and just let him do whatever? I mean, would we do that? No. So he has to get at us the only way he can through our mind. So therefore, he does it with, we know the thoughts, the ideas, and the suggestions. But the point is, he can only infiltrate us through our mind. And that's where it all starts. That's where the warfare actually begins. So, here's the thing. When he was talking to Jesus, whenever we're reading and it says, and he said, it's not him standing in front of Jesus saying it. It is him saying it through a thought in Jesus' mind. And here's the other thing to keep in mind. I think this is kind of clever, actually. When he comes to you with a thought, he's going to speak that thought to you in your voice. Okay? Because think about that. If he spoke the thought to you in somebody else's voice, then that's like a... That's like... It's telegraphing what he's doing, okay? It's you kind of like knowing, all right, well, then that doesn't make any sense. So in other words, if he is, you go out and you see a movie that you probably didn't have any business seeing if you're single because it was a movie that was a little amorous and a little romantic and it got you feeling a little frisky and hot and bothered. So you shouldn't have seen it. You should have gotten up and walked out, okay? I'm just being real. So this happens. Now you start getting in your mind, well, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if I just went over and just said hello to brother so-and-so and then brother so-and-so is always ready to come home and say something to somebody else. Okay, and then you start thinking, this, this, these thoughts are coming to you in your own voice. Because if it was in somebody else's voice, you know right off the bat, you know that's not right. But you start thinking on the 
that thing for a while and you might get on the train and before you know it, you're getting off on a stop that's not the stop you're supposed to get off on. And then you're like, oh, I'll just walk a little bit. And before you know it, you walk and you're not where you're, you're not going to your house. You end up going knocking on brother so-and-so's door and he's very quick to invite you in. And before you know it, you've entered into lust and you've gotten into a situation that you had no business getting into. But guess what? These things are real. These things do happen to people. But it started when the enemy was messing with your mind when you were in there looking at that movie that you should have gotten up and left. But he kept telling you, oh, you can handle it. After all, you're a Christian. You go to Crenshaw Christian Center, New York. You know you'll be fine. That was him talking to you all along in your own mind, in your own voice. So you found it valid. But he was still the author of that, which was creating what? Confusion. And we already know who the author of confusion is. And we know that that's where the temptation comes from. So the point is, he's going to use your voice. That's how you'll fall for it. If not, you wouldn't. It's all part of the con that he set up because he's always trying to con us and we have to understand that. He really, really is. It's no different. Okay, it might not be that bad. Say you're just at home and you're sitting there and you're looking at a movie and you know, you had dinner maybe early and now it's like a little bit later and you just really know that that chocolate cake that's in the kitchen, it's just starting to call out your name and you know if you just put a little scoop of vanilla ice cream on that oh it would be so good and you're like well you know I had dinner early and I really didn't eat that much earlier today I had salad for lunch so maybe I could just go in it's, it's, so I'll just have a little sliver then by the time you go to cut the cake the little sliver gets a little bit bigger and you have just a little bit less than a hunk of cake and then you put on the ice cream and it's like oh well you know I gotta have a little bit of chocolate syrup before you know it you have a full-blown 1500 calorie dessert but it was calling your name while you were sitting there so it can be it doesn't have to just be so obvious and blatant as sexual but you know what 1500 calories of a dessert can be just as bad depending upon how you look at it. Well, not really, but you know what I'm saying. Either way, it was not what you should have been doing at that time. So you get my drift. It's going to be something that you're going to hear in your own voice and you're going to ration it out and think that it's perfectly okay. Now let's look at, you're already at Luke 4, so let's just drop down and read the next verse, 4-3. And it says, then the devil, excuse me, Luke 4, the third verse. And it says, then the devil said to him, meaning Jesus, if, here's the word if again, if you are the son of God, order this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. If we look at it in the living, it says, Satan said, if you are God's son, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And the message says, the devil playing on his hunger gave the first test since your God's son command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. And I've pointed this out all throughout this whole entire series that if or sin, oh, that's going to be what he's going to try to get you to do because if usually casts some form of doubt. And 
It is exactly what he's going to use as often as he can to get you to doubt whatever the situation is. That's just how he operates. Now, let's read the next verse. Well, let's read this verse of scripture again. We can actually read it again. But think of it understanding now that it's actually a thought that's in the mind of Christ, not the enemy standing there talking to him, having a conversation. Okay, so if it's in his mind and we just look at it like, we'll look at it the Living Bible. And this is Satan saying, if you are God's son, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. That's all in the mind of Jesus. This is what he's hearing. And he now is going to show us what we're supposed to do in response when we get these types of thoughts. That's the beauty of him walking the earth for the three and a half years of his ministry because he showed us exactly what to do. We don't have to try to figure it out. He gave us what it was that we were supposed to do. This is how he answered that. Just drop down to the very next verse. And Jesus in the Living Bible, he replied, it is written in the scriptures, other things in life are much more important than bread. If we look at it in the Amplified Classic, it says, and Jesus replied to him, it is written, man shall not live and be sustained by, on, bread alone, but by every word and expression of God. And then the message says, Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to really live. So the point is, what did he do? He used the word of God. That's what, and he also always says, in some way or form, it is written, or he refers back to the word, which is letting us know what? Again, the word is our armor. So obviously, we need to always refer back to that which is going to protect us if we're in a battle, or if you're being attacked. You want to always refer back to that which is going to protect you, which is what? The word of God, exactly, exactly. So, he's letting us know through everything that we are to say it is written. And he's showing us exactly how to use the word as our armor. And we have to understand, we can't use, I don't care how astute you are, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care what your credentials are, I don't care if you're a doctor, I don't care if you have two doctorates, I really don't care. It doesn't really matter. When it comes to dealing with the enemy, none of that comes into place because, to be quite frank, you can't spar with the devil. You may think you can, but then you're the one who's being delusional. You can't fake him out because quite frankly, you're really not that smart. And it doesn't matter how many A's you got in school. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished. I don't really care about if you're in Forbes or not. You can give me whatever credentials you want. It is totally irrelevant because when it comes right down to it, he's got more experience than you. You want to know why? He's lived longer than you. I mean, I had said this earlier to Stan about something totally different, about how youth is wasted on the young. You know, like we can sit up and see ourselves at our age now. You look at somebody who's, you know, 18, 20 years old, and oh boy, those were the years, you know. But they don't have one iota of the wisdom that we have now just through living, just through being here. Well, the enemy... <laughs> He's been here way longer than us. He was here in the beginning. So the whole point of the matter is we can't sit there and think we're going to spar with him and think our intellect is going to do something. You're foolish if you think that. You better follow exactly what Jesus put 
out here in the rule book for us to follow if you plan on being successful because he's got more experience just by virtue of tenure, the fact that he's been around that long. That's why whenever you say it is written and you give him the word of God, that ends it. There's nothing left for him to say. There's absolutely nothing. You see, he's always going to trick us by putting aside our responsibility to take our armor, which is knowledge of the word of God. That's why he loves it when Christians go to churches like the one that I grew up in, where they take the Bible, read a couple of little scriptures, and then stick it under the pulpit and go into their weekly show. He loves that. He loves churches like that. He thinks that's just absolutely marvelous because he doesn't want you to know anything about your armor. He doesn't want you to know anything about the word. But the good news is you do. That's why you're here. Now let's just look at verses 5 through 8. You're already in Luke, so you're just dropping down to the next verses of scripture. And this is where we're going to see how he offers yet again another temptation to Jesus. So starting with verse 5, this is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I'm going to share it out of the Amplified Classic first. And it says, Then the devil took him, meaning Jesus, up to the high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the habitable world in a moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this power and authority and their glory, all their magnificence, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, and grace. For it has been turned over to me, and I will give it to whomever I will. Therefore, if you will do homage to and worship me just once, it shall all be yours. And Jesus replied to him, get behind me, Satan. It is written, you shall do homage to and worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, if we look at it in the Living Bible, it's a little bit shorter. And it says, and Satan took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil told him, I will give you all these splendid kingdoms and their glory, for they are mine to give to anyone I wish, if you will only get down on your knees and worship me. Jesus replied, we must worship God and him alone. So it is written in the scriptures. Again, he's using, it is written. And then lastly, I'm going to share it out of the message. And it says, for the second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, they're yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me and they're yours, the whole works. Jesus refused, again, backing his refusal with Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. Notice, Jesus did not use his word to get the enemy to back off. He used the word of God. You can be as clever as you think you are. You can be glib. You can speak as if just 
be the greatest orator that ever lived. If you don't use the word of God, it does not mean anything because what does he say? He says that his word is what will not return unto him void. He doesn't say anything about your words. So you can sit up and say all you want. It can be as beautiful and sound great and accomplish nothing. You must use his word, the word of God, for that is your armor. That is your protection all the time. In verse 8, Jesus said it again. For it is written, and the issue of worship was over. The discussion was ended because Jesus simply said, it is written. We have to declare to Satan, it is written. That is the key. You can't say that it is written if you haven't read what was written. See, that's the other key. You can come to Bible study, and that's a good thing. Praise God. That's good. You can come to church services, all that. That's good. But if you don't know, see, again, this goes back to the enemy's tenure, okay? I'll put it to you this way. This, I get these weird analogies that come to me. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Like, say, for instance, and just, this is almost comical because it's so weird, but just stick with me for a minute. This has nothing to do with the man, but I'm trying to give you an example of something. Okay, I'll give you two examples. If you see Dr. Price, Apostle Price, to me, he will always be Dr. Price in my heart because he's Apostle Dr. Price, whatever. If you see him standing before you in a suit, does he not look like he can wear that suit? Okay. If you see Denzel Washington in a movie, now, I don't like all of his work, but whatever. You can see him in certain things, and he's wearing a suit. He can wear that suit, right? And of course, I already know my husband can. But here's the thing. If you see a little boy, okay, say a little boy about five or six years old, and he gets up and he puts on any of those people's suits that I just mentioned, he just looks like a little boy in the suit. He can't carry that suit off, right? He's not fooling us. He can come up here and do whatever he wants, but we still go, oh, that's so cute. He's just a little boy in the suit. Well, if you are sitting up and you're trying to say, it is written, and you're saying something you heard somebody else say, but you don't know it to be true, you look just like that little boy in that suit to the enemy. Because he just sits there like, oh, isn't that cute? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm wipe you out. That's what you've got to understand. You have to own it because you've read it because you know what it is. Then you can stand and you can square your shoulders and you can wear that suit because you know exactly what the word says and that's when the enemy will go Ooh, and just back off. But you have to see that. Too often Christians are playing church and they're playing with the word and they're acting, they're repeating something they heard somebody else say but they really don't even know what it means there is another story that I shared, I don't know some other time that I was teaching it was about a navy person that was on a ship the only word he knew was the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he didn't know any other word 
Now, he had heard word, but as far as word that he knew and knew what it meant, that's all that it was. They were in the midst of a storm. It was a raging sea. He stood in his room and he said, Father, I don't know any other word, but I do know that you have it written that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So I know that I'm not going to be harmed in this storm because I don't want to be. And you said that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It is written that way. That's all he knew. He was spared. Other people got hurt on that ship. But God honored what? His word. Because it was his word that was being spoken. So I just let you know. You don't have to know every single thing. Because that's the other thing the enemy will mess with you with. Okay? He'll sit there and go, oh, you're a Christian. You don't know anything. All you know is, you know, five or six little verses. What is that going to do for you? Own what you do know and keep growing. It is a process. We live life on levels and we arrive in stages. I don't care if you only know the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Own it because you do know it. But you know what? Open up the book and find out more so that you can see your inheritance and you can see all that God has for you. Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. So now let's look. Same chapter. We're going to look at verses 9 and 11. We're just going to keep following along this. Hmm. Okay. So if we look at verse 9, and I'll start with the Amplified Classic again. He says, Then he took him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem, and set him on a gable of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from here, for it is written. Now see, the, see how he's doing? Now he's going to quote scripture to Jesus. He's going to try to flip the script, trying to be funny. Okay? So he says, For it is written, He will give his angels charge over you to guard and watch over you closely and carefully. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now we know that comes out of Psalm 91. Then, of course, in the Living Bible, it says, then Satan took him to Jerusalem to a high roof of the temple and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say that God will send his angels to guard you and to keep you from crashing to the pavement below. He's really mocking him at this point. And in the Message Bible, it says, for the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem and put him on top of the temple. He said, if, here's the word if again, if you are God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it? That he, and even that, it's written, isn't it? That's like saying, is it really written? It's again tempting him. It's written, isn't it, that he has placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They will catch you. You won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Oh my goodness. Here is the enemy using Jesus' words on Jesus. He knows what's written. The devil knows the Bible. Okay? It's not like, you know, it's any joke. He knows it. And that whole thing in verse 11 about, you know, which is the last part of it, about and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan can quote chapters and verses. But again, as I mentioned to you earlier, he has no spiritual perception. And that is so important. Because... You may know someone who's read a novel, and you then ask them, uh, what, you know, tell me about the novel. 
and they look at you like you have two heads because they can't really tell you much about it because they might not have really comprehended what they read. Then you can ask somebody else and oh my goodness, it's as if they can give you verbatim, word for word, everything that they've read. The point is the second person comprehended what they read. Well, the thing with Satan is he knows the word, but he's totally devoid of, what it, of, of comprehending it. He has no perception of what it means. And that is obvious. Why is it obvious? Because all of these years, if he knew, he'd realize to just sit down and back off because he's lost. He would realize that he's lost the battle and we've won. But the key is we need to know that we've won. And we need to be able to prove and substantiate that we've won. And the only way we can do that is by knowing what the word of God has said. So though you read the words, you... <laughs> You didn't have a clue as to what the author was writing about. That's exactly how Satan is. He knows what the words are, but he has no idea what he's even right, what, what he's reading. He has no idea. He's delusional. That's the, the best way that I can put it. He's actually a person that we would consider delusional. If you look at verse 12, which is continuing where we are, Luke 4.12, and Jesus replied to him, the scripture says, and this is the Amplified Classic Edition, the scripture says, you shall not tempt, try, test exceedingly the Lord your God. If you look at it in the Living Bible, it says Jesus replied. The scriptures also say, do not put the Lord your God to a foolish test. And the message says, yes, said Jesus. And it's also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. Notice again, he is always referring back to the word. So don't think because you've had one encounter with the devil and defeated him because that is going to happen. If you're using the word, you are going to defeat him in the battle. Don't think he's going to give up. Don't think it's one and done and that's it, you know, because he's coming back and he's going to come back to see just what he can do to uproot you and it's going to start all over again where in your mind. The only way he can control your actions is by getting control of your mind in the sense of getting you to fall for his lies and then act on them. But he can't control your mind in the, in the sense of you like becoming a robot. That's not going to work. Now turn with me to John's Gospel. And we're going to look at chapter 8 in John. And we're going to look at verses... 31 and 32. So it's John's Gospel, the 8th chapter. Let me know when you're there by saying amen. amen. Okay. So if we start, I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible first. Starting with verse 30. Yeah, the Living Bible, I'm actually going to start with verse 30. It says, Then many of the Jewish leaders who heard him say these things began believing him to be the Messiah. Jesus said to them, You are truly my disciples if you live as I tell you to. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If we look at it in the Amplified Classic, it says, So Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, and this is what this means, abide in my word, to hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them. 
You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then the message says, then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. But it won't make you free unless, and this is the key, you act on the truth. If you are a Christian, truly a Christian, you no doubt have a Bible. I mean, most Christians have a Bible. Would you agree with that? Yes. So you have the truth because you have the Bible. The whole truth and nothing but the truth you've got because you've got the Bible. But some Christians never ever reach all that God has for them because they honestly do not know what is contained in the truth that they hold when they hold the Bible in their hands. They honestly don't know. And yet, <laughs> they all have in their hands the truth, but in no way, shape, or form is it making them free. So did Jesus lie in these verses of scripture that we just read? Absolutely no. But it is implied in the word know, meaning you've got to know the word. And the other word that's there is do. From a biblical perspective, to know something is to do something. But if you're not doing, you don't really know. Because if you really knew, then why wouldn't you do it? I know, that almost sounds like a riddle or a, or a tongue twister. And I don't mean it to be. Okay, so I'm going to repeat it. If, from a, from a biblical perspective, if, okay, I'll break it down this way. Do it this way. From a biblical perspective, if it says that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hill and the earth and the fullness thereof belong to him and we are joint heirs with him, then that means that we own the cattle on a thousand hill and the earth and the fullness thereof belong to us. So therefore, when our Con Ed bill comes and when our rent is due, it shouldn't be a challenge for us because we are joint heirs with the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hill and the earth and the fullness, which means Chase Bank, Wells Fargo, all of those banks are in the fullness of the earth, correct? And they belong to him. So then, therefore, I should be able to pay my bills. It shouldn't even be a question. But there are many Christians, that's not the case. And they can't. And they're believing God. That's good. They're exercising their faith. Praise the Lord. But why is it that it's just not so easy where they can just go ahead and just do it? Why is it that they don't know that? That's the even better thing. See, it's the sadder thing, I should say that there are many people who don't even know that. They don't even know, they've never heard that scripture before in their life. They don't know anything about in Philippians where it says all of our need is already met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. They've never heard that. I didn't hear that in that Baptist church I went to. I didn't know that. Okay, so I could only hope and believe that my parents were going to be able to have the money to give me to go get lunch money or whatever. I didn't know that. I, they, they didn't tell me how to exercise my faith or how to believe God. Okay, whereas, praise the Lord, I did come into... <laughs> 
a greater knowledge when I first found out about Dr. Price at the time on TV and he started talking about paying bills and I was like, I've never heard any pastor anywhere talk about paying some kind of bills. What is he talking about? So it allowed me to get a better understanding of the word, to get to a point of understanding how to exercise my faith to pay those bills so that I don't get stressed out no matter what the bills may be because it's like, you know what, Jesus? We're joint heirs. So you're going to help me figure it out because nobody takes care of me better than you. But I had to learn that. How did I learn that? From opening up the word and seeing what it says. But better than just seeing what it says. I applied it to my life. You see, there's the missing link for so many people. Just like being born again. Jesus did send his only begotten son. Okay, He sent him because he wanted to provide for us a solution where we all needed salvation. But if you don't know Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you don't know how to apply it, if you don't know how to open your mouth and ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, you still will leave this earth and die and go to hell because you never understood how to apply it to be born again. You can read the Bible backwards and forwards. You can read it, get all those cute little things, you know, read the Bible in a year, all that. You can have devotions. You can sit up and pray six and eight and ten times a day. But if you don't apply the word of God to your life, you have not done anything. You are delusional for yourself. And that is what we've got to be able to see. We have to apply it. And when you apply it, you apply it to everything. My children learned early on, don't come to mommy and daddy thinking mommy and daddy are going to meet your need. The God that we serve is going to meet your need. I will get into agreement with you and we will pray and we will believe God for it. They believed God for their Christmas presents. I never told them about some fat cat coming down a chimney. I refuse. I didn't even do that when I wasn't born again because I worked too hard. And I was like, I'm not having them believe some man that who knows where he came from came down some chimney to give him these gifts that we're out there working for. Oh, no, 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 no. But I got them because, you know, as they get older, they want bigger gifts, better gifts, then you know what? Let's pray. Let's get into agreement. Let's believe God. Start teaching them young so that they can continue the process and their faith can grow. And then your faith can grow. It's ever increasing. That's the whole purpose of why Dr. Price named it Ever Increasing Faith. Because our faith needs to be ever increasing because we already know that faith is the currency of the kingdom. Praise God. Okay. So, the true armor of God is truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. And I cannot reemphasize enough the fact that our armor is simply what we know about these things. So what you know about truth, what you know about righteousness, what you know about the gospel of peace, what you know about faith, and what you know about your salvation and the word of God, that is your true armor. And you've got to understand that. The depth, the height, the length, and the width of what we know of the word of God will determine the depth, the height, the length, and the width of our freedom. 
I absolutely love that. When you think about that, that's really, really true. So when you really, it's like we have to participate in our salvation. We've got to participate in receiving that all God has for us. So it's sort of like if we know that downtown and City National, there's a billion dollars waiting for us, but we have to go pick it up. That means we need to figure out whatever bus, train, taxi, whatever, to go down there, and we need to make sure we have all of the credentials so we can go in and get our billion dollars, right? I mean, everybody would be willing to do that. So then if everybody would be willing to do that, why isn't everybody willing to open up the book and find out what your inheritance is and claim every single thing in there and get it and live the life of freedom and the life of abundance that he has for us. It all starts very simply in your mind. You've got to make the decision to do it. When you make the decision to do it, it then affects your actions. It then affects the words that come out of your mouth. And those very words will change your entire world. I promise you that. That I can totally promise you. So now, we know that Satan is the enemy. But how does he really come against us? We'd like to know so we can take our armor and defend ourselves. Isn't that fair to say? I think so. So if he's coming from uptown and we're looking downtown, that's a problem, okay? Because we kind of like to need to see where he's coming from. Now, according to the Apostle Paul, we are to use our armor against three specific things. Now... We're going to mention them, but I'm going to actually re-emphasize four principles that I gave you the last time we were together. Now, I don't know if everybody remembers them, so I'm going to see if you do. The first one is that thoughts always do what? Oh, you're so good. Yes. Oh, now you made, me, you made my day. You're listening. Okay. The second one is that knowledge and its proper use wins battles. The third one is that ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. And the fourth one is faith and unbelief. Oh, I love you guys. Yes. Now, here's why the fourth one is so important. If you do not have faith in what it is that you are believing, then that's going to affect whether or not you believe your armor is for real. Because if you cannot believe that the word of God is the final authority in your life, then you cannot believe that putting on this armor is really going to do anything. Because your belief system, if it is not where the word is the final authority, then if there's any unbelief, it's not going to work for you. And I got to quit. I gave you four. The first was thoughts always precede actions. Knowledge and its proper use wins battles. Ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. And the fourth one is faith and unbelief cannot occupy the same space. And I was really... Okay, when we come back next time, it's going to be good. <laughs> we 
have some real important things we're going to go over next time. So. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.